card that looks something like this. Uh, we would love it if you would fill that card out a little bit at the end of the service. Uh, you can put that in one of the baskets outside. That just gives us a record of your visit. Uh, we, won't, we won't hound you or anything, but we just want to be able to pray for you. Also, if you have prayer requests or you know somebody who has a prayer need, on the back side of that card is a place to write those things down too. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today, and uh, we hope you have a great week. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. It's awesome to be here today to worship with you. We're going to sing a medley of songs that just starts out with this great hymn, There is Power in the Blood. Here we go. Oh, you. Yeah. 
that's it. All right, God bless you. Be seated. It is so good to see you this morning, and thank you so much for being in church. I'm going to start off by saying you sounded great singing. I certainly didn't. You can sound from my voice. Um, I don't have much of a voice today, um, but God is good, and He's brought us here. If you're happy to be in God's house, say amen. 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 I praise God that you're here. We also praise God um, that Brother Steve Colburn is able to go and do a retreat this weekend at a neighboring church, and Mark Good is here to lead us and join our praise team. Um, He and Jamie are dear to our church, and if you were not here during our previous interim, you don't know the Goods, but we love you guys, and thank you so much. And I told them in the first service, I'll tell them in this service, uh, when I was in the ICU with COVID, they were trying to come and see me, but I got out of ICU too soon. And um, that's okay with me, by the way. And um, but I appreciate you guys so much, and I'm glad that you're with us today. We love you very much. And um, what a day it is to be in God's house. I'm glad that you're here. Um, we do have a lot of COVID cases among our church family, and um, I want you to be praying for those folks. Um, some of you are here today. Your loved one um, is sick, and um, we just want you to know we're praying for them. Some of you are watching by television because you're at home in quarantine. We want you to know we're praying for you. And um, it's just, that seems to be the case in society these days. This morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. Do you remember when t-shirts were only white, when t-shirts were just plain, and the only reason you ever wore a t-shirt was under another garment? Um, If you go back 30 to 40 years ago, folks, that's what it meant to wear a t-shirt, and now... We wear a t-shirt all the time. Um, Some people will even choose to wear a t-shirt to church, and and that's okay. But but I want to offer to you just a little bit of t-shirt philosophy today because as t-shirts have grown in in popularity and they're worn more often, we see all these amazing sayings that appear on t-shirts. And um, I'm, I'm doing this today because the verse we're about to study has found its way onto a t-shirt. So let me start off with just a little bit a funny and humorous t-shirt philosophy. One of my favorite t-shirts I've seen is this one. It says, I'm not as dumb as you look, right? And then another t-shirt that I've seen says, the secret of success is sincerity. If you can fake it, you've got it made, right? And and then the third t-shirt is, we are the people our parents warned us about. Another t-shirt says, work fascinates me. I could sit and watch it for hours, right? And another t-shirt said this, people who think they know everything annoy those of us who do. And then another t-shirt says, I refuse to have, the, have a battle of wits with an unarmed person. And then the t-shirt that connects to this message says this, the meek shall inherit the earth after we're finished with it. Now, the phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth, is the phrase that we're going to focus on today. It finds itself in that next beatitude that we're studying. So I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We find ourselves in this extended study of the beatitudes. And as you're turning there today, I want to remind you that the beatitudes begin with the word blessed. It's a word that means content or happy or satisfied. So as we study these, I just want you to know this, over the top of of this reading is if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happier, if you want to be more content that at any time in your life, 
you need to hear and follow these words given by Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word with our standing attention today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. As always, I'll be reading from the New International Version. Here's how it reads. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. The disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beatitude number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And beatitude number three, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now before you're seated today, you may already know if you've been with us that we are currently memorizing a verse. It's our refresh memory verse. How many of you have already put to memory Acts chapter 3 verse 19? Raise your hand. Oh my soul in heaven, one person in the whole room. All right. Now I'm going to repeat the assignment. One verse, folks. One verse. In the first service there were four So including Mary Snyder, that makes five, okay? I'm going to allow you to cheat one last Sunday, so let's say it together. Next Sunday, no notes on the screen. Here it is. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. God bless you. Be seated. Next week, I want to hear that verse. Now, This morning, if you have not been with us, you may not realize that we are in the middle of a sermon series titled Refresh, and we're talking about what to do when our life crashes. I've heard from many of you that are telling me, Pastor Danny, I think this sermon series is for me because I feel like my life is crashing. Maybe it's physically crashing or emotionally crashing, spiritually crashing, relationally crashing crashing, whatever it is, we're talking about what to do when our life crashes, and we're basically saying just like our computer crashes, so can our lives crash. And just as a computer has a refresh button, God also gives us that opportunity right here in the Beatitudes. And so that's why we're studying these. We're talking about these attitudes that ought to be, and it's a seven-step process. And Behind me here above the baptistry are the first three steps. Now, let's review a a bit right quick. Week number one, we learned the first step, if you want personal refreshing or spiritual refreshing, is you have to realize that I'm not God. Raise your hand if you say, Pastor, I've got that. I realize I'm not God. Now, it's easy to raise your hand. It's hard to put that into practice. But when it happens, you actually come to this admission that you say, I'm totally helpless. You see, that's where we begin this process. You don't end there, but you begin there. You have to say, God, without you, right, I'm totally helpless. Realize I'm not God. Step number two moves on from there. Earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to Him. You see, when we believe that God exists, when we understand His loving nature, It's then that we can say, I believe God can help me. So we start with the admission, I am helpless, but now I believe that God can help me. And that leads us to our third step today, fully submit my life 
and my will to Christ's control. Fully submit my life and my will to Christ's control, and the attitude that follows that is simply this, I'll be meek without being weak. Now, let me remind you again that the Beatitudes are the attitudes that ought to be. And we have to understand that each one of these is given to us in sequential order. That means each one is built upon the preceding beatitude. They come as this unbreakable set. They're like eight steps on a ladder. I want you to imagine right quick that you walked into the hardware store and you walked up to the assistant at the desk and you would say, I would like to buy the fourth rung on the ladder only. Well, that wouldn't make sense, would it? You wouldn't just want the fourth step. You'd want all the steps, and that's the way it is with the Beatitudes. And, and, and so the first rung is to be poor in spirit. The second rung is to mourn over your spiritual deficiency. And then the third rung, that produces a meek person. So before we discuss the true meaning of meekness, I want to talk about personal roadblocks to refreshing. You see, here's the deal. Whether we be in this room or watching by live stream, there's probably not one of us that says, Pastor, I, I need some refreshment. I need refreshing. Maybe you're here and you say, I need personal refreshing, emotional refreshing. I need spiritual refreshing. And you want it, but sometimes you don't seem to be able to get it. And that's because there are roadblocks that prevent you from receiving the refreshment that God has. Let me give you three of these just to launch off today into this discussion. First of all, the first roadblock is pride. Write that down for yourself. This is the biggie for pretty much every one of us in the room. Pride is the big one because it'll prevent you from admitting that you need help. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 8 says this, The wise in heart accept commands. But a chattering, prideful fool comes to ruin. And here's the deal, folks. Thousands of people are struggling with hurts and habits and hang-ups, but they're too proud to admit that they need help. Uh, they slap on their plastic smiles, right? They go on as if nothing is wrong. Pl pride blinds them to their sense of, of need. Let me tell you about one funny story I heard about in the church. I think this actually happened, as a matter of fact. Tony, this is a pastoral story that, that we cherish. One Sunday morning, this woman walks down the aisle. The sermon is over. The pastor's standing down front. Here she comes at the invitation, and she says, Pastor, I need you to pray with me. She said, I am guilty of pride. So the pastor leans in, and he's going to pray with this woman, and she proceeds to add this. She said, Pastor, I know I'm the prettiest woman in the church. I'm struggling with pride. And that wise pastor said to her in that very personal moment, he said, ma'am, you're not suffering from pride, you're suffering from ignorance, right? And that's what happens. Ignorance is produced by pride. When we come to the point where we are unwilling or unable to admit how much need we have, we live in ignorance. Pride can be a roadblock to God's refreshing. Let me give you a second one that you might struggle with, and that's guilt. This is when you feel so guilty that you're afraid to ask God to help you. I mean, you're ashamed of it. Maybe you've been to God so many times before asking Him for help and forgiveness that you're embarrassed to try again. Maybe you made God a promise when He helped you through a tough time, and now 
you said, God, if you'll get me through this, I'll change. But here you are again doing the same old thing as you've always done. Maybe you're thinking, I just couldn't go back to God and ask for help again. Folks, as a pastor, I hear that all the time. People come to me and they say, you know, I've, I've already gone to God and I've failed him over and over. There's no way, they say, that I could go back again. But let me say this, they're wrong. And if you feel that way today, you're wrong. And let me be even stronger. You're dead wrong. You can always go back to God. You see, God will never say, nope, that's it. I forgave you for the last time, my friend. I told you if you ever did it again, no forgiveness. God will never say those things. Folks, the Bible says God's mercy is everlasting. Please don't let guilt block you. Pride can block God's refreshing. Guilt can block God's refreshing. Let me give you a third one today. Fear can also block God's refreshing. You see, you may be afraid to seek help because you're afraid you're going to be exposed for who you really are. You may be reluctant to seek God's help because you're afraid of what you might have to give up. I mean, you become so reliant upon these people, you couldn't give them up. You become so reliant upon these things, this, this drink, this drug, this lifestyle. You're afraid to take a single step without it. It's become a crutch for you, and you've just become afraid. You see, and maybe it's, you're afraid that you, if you surrender yourself fully to Jesus, you'll become one of those religious nuts. How many of you today say, Pastor, I want to follow Christ. I just don't want to become one of those religious nuts. I want to say this to you. If you fully follow Jesus Christ, you won't become a religious nut. You'll just receive abundant life. Somebody say amen out loud. Friend, you're not going to become a nut. You're going to find all that God has for you. Uh, please don't let the roadblocks of, of pride and guilt and fear divert you from God's refreshing. You see, we have to start with the roadblocks that prevent refreshing. And, and once we recognize what those blocks are, now it's time for us to have a sincere talk about the words of Jesus. Now it's time for us to deal with the Beatitude. So take your Bibles and let's go back again. And let's read today's Beatitude. It's verse number five. Blessed are who? The meek, for they will inherit the earth. As we begin to talk about this, we're going to reveal the perfect model of meekness. Let's talk about the word meek. It's interesting that the central word of this entire sermon is the word meek, and it's a word that is often more misunderstood and misused than any other word in our culture. You see, when we think of meekness, we don't think of a successful businessman. When we think of meekness, we don't think of an NFL quarterback. To most people, when we say meek, we're describing a person who is passive and submissive and weak and mild. A meek person conjures up images of a compliant doormat, a person who's so timid and unassertive, they allow people just to march all over them all the time. But I want to tell you, that's not the meaning of this word in the Bible. That's not what meekness means at all. In Scripture, actually, we have a man who modeled his life after meekness, and what's his name? Jesus Christ. 
His name is Jesus. Jesus actually said this about himself, and I quote, I am meek and lowly of heart. Why don't you look at this painting? I, I put this on the screen, and don't you enjoy our, our new projectors today, by the way? It's nice and bright and clear. But I, I put this painting up today because I, I want to talk about this just for a moment. How many paintings or pictures of Jesus have you seen in your life? I, I started thinking about that in my office, and I was thinking, thousands? Probably you too, right? And I shudder at most of the paintings I've seen of Christ because they portray Jesus as some type of pale-skinned, emaciated wimp, don't they? I mean, he appears so frail and so effeminate, and that's why I love this painting so much. It's painted by Antonello de Messina, and I like this because to me, Jesus looks like a real man. Blood, sweat, and, and yes, even tears. And I want to leave it up there for a minute because I, I want to tell you, and I want to correct our thinking, and I want to say this emphatically, Jesus Christ was not a wimp. Jesus Christ was not a wimp. People didn't walk all over Jesus. He had calloused hands from working as a carpenter, right? He had hair on his chest and dirt under his fingernails. He was strong enough to single-handedly drive out the crooks who were selling their scams at the temple. He was the kind of man that rough, hard fishermen admired and followed and, and even died for. And so when you think about that, when you look at this image on the screens, does that help correct your thinking about meekness? When I say that Jesus was meek, I, I move forward with this definition. My definition of meekness is this, that meekness is not weakness, it's just strength under control. Let me say that again. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. You see, when Jesus hung up on that cross, he could have called down thousands of angelic warriors to save him. He had that strength, he had that power, but he kept it under control. Meekness is not weakness, it's just strength under control. Let me tell you the story about Paul. <clears throat> Paul was an expert in the martial arts. He actually had a ministry that he called Karate for Christ. Great name, right? And, and Paul would go to these various gatherings, churches, and, and he would do all of these demonstrations. He would break all kinds of boards and concrete blocks, and he would share his testimony about how Christ had changed his life. And one night, Paul, as he, as he left one of those places and events of ministry, he, he made his way out onto the streets of Philadelphia, and he was accosted by a mugger. He, he was being mugged, right? And, and understand that Paul, he was, he was kind of jacked up. He was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was buff, we might say. He was muscular. He was, he was fit. He was active. He could take care of himself. And here this mugger was, a small man with a small knife demanding Paul's money. And Paul in that moment felt this rush of adrenaline. And the story goes something like this. He smiled as he considered all the things that he could do to this little weak mugger. I mean, he thought about how he could cripple him. He thought about how he could disable him. He even thought about ways that he could even kill him. But instead, he decided not to hurt him. He just did this. Hoo! And that mugger ran off 
scared out of his mind. Folks, that's a good picture because that's meekness. He had the strength to hurt the guy, but he kept it under control. When we display true Christian meekness, we're in a position now to move to the third stage. You, you see, we have the roadblocks to receiving God's refreshing. We have the perfect model of meekness, and now we move to putting Christ in control. And this is our third step. Look at it again. Fully submit my life. Let me add more to it. Fully submit my life and my will, right, to Christ's control. Now, I want you to get that right because the order of life and will are not incidental. They're very intentional. Let me tell you why they're intentional to me. How many of you know about the 12-step plan of Alcoholics Anonymous? And if you raise your hand, that doesn't mean that you used to go. It just means you're aware of it, okay? So are we aware of the 12-step plan? It was actually created back in 1935 by a man named Bill Wilson. And the third step in AA literally says this, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. You see the order of that? He said our will and our lives. Now, I'm going to flip-flop that because I want it to say this. I want it to say life before our will. And here's why I say that, because you first have to commit your life before you can surrender your will to Jesus. You have to surrender your life to Jesus before you can surrender your will to Jesus. In other words, it starts with a decision, right, and then it continues as a process. Let me explain this to us right quick, because it's valuable that we get this. Let's examine both aspects. It starts with a decision. How many of you have made the decision to give your life to Jesus? All right. The prayer is that everybody in the room could say yes. Maybe you haven't done that yet. We pray that you'll do that today. But that's a decision, isn't it? It's a one-time decision, never to be done again. In the Baptist church, we call that being saved. But you have to understand that's not all there is of the Christian life. That's just the first step of a long, exciting process of following Jesus. It reminds me of when JFK said that the United States was going to put a man on the moon. Now, that was his decision, right? But that wasn't the whole process. It took all of the smart guys at NASA to actually make it happen. And today you may be stuck because you thought you were finished when you gave your life to Christ, when you decided to follow Him. You didn't realize it was an entire process. And so now let's shift over to the process. The process, folks, comes after the decision. This is when on a daily basis you surrender your will to the control of Jesus Christ. And guess how many times you do it? Infinitely many. You might do it hourly sometimes. You might do it daily, but you do it repeatedly, and you do it continually, and you say over and over and over again, I'm surrendering myself yet again to Jesus Christ's control. It's a decision, and then it's a process. If you understand that, say amen. It's a decision, and it's a process. But once you choose it, hear me, it's all about will. You see, this is the question. Will it be my will, or will it be God's will? 
Will it be my will today or will it be God's will today? To close all of this out, I, I want to understand what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the meek, by comparing it to teaching a horse to be ridden. Now, I know we have some, some horse riders among us, and you're going to love this because the original Greek word for meek is the word praeus. The word praeus, when you find how it was used during the Bible times, it was used to describe the process, here's the, here's the best part, of breaking a horse. So let's talk about horses for just a second. How would you define a horse? We'd probably use the word magnificent, right? A magnificent creature, a powerful creature. But here's the deal. A horse does not necessarily allow a person to just jump on its back and ride. That's because a horse is by nature, it's wild. It doesn't like being controlled. In order to be, to be ridden, a horse has to what? Be broken. So when a horse is first bridled, when a horse is first saddled, it doesn't just stand there and take it. No, it's rebellious. It's what we see at the rodeo. It starts jumping around and, and bucking around. It, it's not willing to be broken, right? It's a part of the equine nature. But over time, and with lots of patience, that horse trainer breaks that horse. It doesn't break its legs. It doesn't break its back. It breaks its stubborn will, right? And here's the deal. The horse maintains its power, but now the strength is under the rider's control. Meekness is strength under control control. Friend, God wants to break you. You may be here today and you say, I, I don't want to be broken. But that's your problem. Is that God wants and needs to break you. He wants to put you under His authority. He wants to take the reins of your life and heart and He wants you to be sensitive to His guidance and leadership. You see, He doesn't want you to follow your own will. He wants you to follow His will. So here's the question of the message. Have you allowed God to break your stubborn will? I want to finish with the words to a song. We didn't sing it today, but I've sung it in church my whole life. And it says this, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And then listen to what it says. Break me, mold me, melt me, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. When you fully surrender your life, and will to Jesus Christ, it's then that refreshment is going to come. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord Jesus, we, we love you. And even though it's hard to recognize it and admit it, 
we say to you today that we know we have to be broken. Lord, help us to overcome these roadblocks. Lord, help us to melt our pride. Melt our guilt away. Melt our fear away. Jesus, allow us to see what meekness looks like in you. Not as a doormat, Lord, but as as weakness. Not as weakness, but as power under control. God, would you take the reins of our heart? Would you bridle us and saddle us? Would you break us and melt us and mold us and fill us? God, there are people today in this room and and watching online that we need you to have your way in our lives. Because without you, we're wild.